Welcome back to Blake the Brewery Explorer podcast. This is our fourth episode, and we're sitting in a brewery room with beers fermenting. It's an amazing feeling, and we're also with the owner and brewer of Crooked Handle, Jason Moore. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Which one, which beer did you bring out and which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, I start with the Main Street Kolsch. It's kind of our um, entry beer, I guess you would say. Um, in Springboro, it's the Borough Blonde. But once we realized we were going to open a second location in Biqua, we wanted to create a beer that would uh, uh, be a nice starter beer. We also tie the two locations together, and both locations happen to be on Main Street. So this is our Main Street Kolsch. Um, light, crisp, easy. Pilsner, malt, I think he's got some... Uh, Tower in this. I apologize. I might not remember all the ingredients. My brewer, head, my head brewer Ken, now does all the production, so I just watch him work. That's okay. The lawyers <laughs> would be excited so about I'll, that fact. I'll, uh, I'll do my best, but yeah, this is a this is a nice beer to get started with for sure. Compliments, especially well. early and yeah. lemony. Exactly. Perfect beer to start before with. breakfast. Yeah, yeah don't yeah. tell our mothers. I know my parents um, when they come here. This is the one they always get. Yeah, because they come from like the domestic sure. background. Yeah, that's exactly why we're way into craft beer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a nice entry, and then uh, then they step up from there to the peanut butter, and, and away it goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. My very first beer was a Budweiser Select because I grew up in St. Louis, so you know you sort of have to pay homage to the to the kings of the, of the city. Sure. But you know, craft beer is it's almost something that you have to discover later on in life because no one really knows anything but what the advertisements are like so you have this entry beer which it, I, I like it a lot but what kind of things do you feel like the average drinker who maybe is new to craft beers what what's like their expectations and and, and how do you capture them well, from, the, from the get-go unfortunately early on the expectation of craft beer was melt your face off ibu hoppy and that's what a lot of people's first experience was they had that you know um two-hearted or or whatever the case may be and uh or some of the three Floyd stuff, and they're like, "This, I'll never drink craft beer again." So it was, it was tough to get over some of that. Um, so for us, it was trying to create something that was very low on hops, moderate alcohol, nice appearance, easy to drink, something similar to a lager. Um, I know a lot of craft breweries do lagers. We, we've dabbled in them. Uh, we don't do them now just because we're we're such a small production size. We can't hold up a tank that long. So we try and turn ales as quick as possible. And this is a nice kind of balance between, you know. A 60-day lager versus a nine or 10-day ale, and it it seems to be a nice attractant to the new people coming in that normally would drink Bud Light, Miller Light, stuff did, like that. Did you feel like there was a little bit of a negative attitude then towards craft beer because there was? I mean, there wasn't. Today, it's way more. I guess mainstream might not be the right word, but but it's more accept socially acceptable, maybe a better term. For sure, yeah. I mean, I I was first introduced to it probably in 2008, so. Um, fortunately for me, my introduction to craft beer was New Belgium, and you know, so I was like, we got really into uh, the Belgian beers and the tour there and the experience. And uh, my brother-in-law, who got me into home brewing, uh, moved out to Fort Collins, Colorado. So it was just you could throw a stone and hit twenty amazing breweries, which long before the boom started here in Dayton. Um, so that's I didn't have that melt your face off IBU hoppy experience, luckily, but I know a lot of people that come in have, and, and I think it was tough to get over. So it, it's. For sure. So that's how you got in craft. So when did you start brewing? Yeah, it was shortly after that. So he had started home brewing. His wife's cousin opened Loveland Aleworks. I don't know if you're familiar with that one or not, being out in that Fort Collins area. It's not too far from Fort Collins. Um, so he went, he went out and he was helping build it out. And I went out and hang drywall for a day just because that's you know something fun you do on vacation. And so then we... <laughs> we uh, just got into homebrew and he was coming back into town and I was like, hey, let's give this a try. So he gave me a list of all the stuff I got to buy. I went to brew tensils, bought the igloo coolers and all this stuff. And um, our first batch was a Saison, um, which is actually coming back out the farm uh, probably here in a couple of weeks. We haven't brewed it in a year or so. It's going to make an appearance. But that's where I got my started. He was he was way into it. Started out with all grain, um, just went right, right for it. And so did we. It took so off from there. Learn, did you learn from him? Yeah, he kind of gave me the basics, but then the beauty of craft beer is every brewery you go to and anybody you talk to that knows anything or wants to know anything is, is openly sharing all the information they can on top of Google and the softwares like Beersmith. And, you know, there's a vast amount of resources right now for people that want to get into this and everybody's willing to help everybody else. So it's, it's awesome. You know, I can call up 
even when I was still home brewing, I could you know go down to Warp Wing and talk to John and he'd openly sit and talk about water or whatever the case may be. And it's it's really a fantastic industry. It's yeah, easy to get hooked. It is that that's a great point. I feel like every I mean, as someone who's definitely an outsider and just fan of beer itself, it is a really accessible sort of group of people. Yeah. We actually started this podcast with Ryan Blevins of Mad Trees. Sure. You know, if you can start a brew a brewery podcast <laughs> about craft beer yeah. with Mad Tree, right? Like you've already hit a home run. And we met him on their anniversary party. He just happened to be standing in line in front of me and I asked him what was in a beer and he was like, oh, I actually made it. I can tell you all about it. And then, right. you know, after I picked my jaw up from the floor, I was like, you know, we're starting a podcast. We'd love to talk to you. So no, it's totally, totally an accessible place. And, and I think that that is a really good almost metaphor if you will for craft brewery everyone just seems so so friendly and, and willing to 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 help each other out we were talking yeah. with um who was it third eye last last podcast and they were talking about during the pandemic how people were sort of sharing ingredients when when one ran out and stuff so i think that's a really sort of awesome awesome attribute to have that's not i mean obviously you guys are competing but it's a very i would say friendly rivalry Seems. It is, yeah, for sure. And then being part of the Dayton Ale Trail, it's um, the same thing. We all get together, or most of us when we can, get together once a month and uh, at a different brewery and just hang out and talk shop and see how everybody's doing and work on the Ale Trail. And then um, then also being part of the Ohio Craft Brewers Association kind of brings all the Ohio breweries together and works um, towards leg- legislation and things that we you know we need in our industry that, that the big guys already have <laughs> yeah. to try and tip the scales in our favor. So it's a great community for sure. When you're talking about that, like when I was at uh, Yellow Springs 10 years and you see all these like local brewers and all there supporting them. And it's like, it shows you, hey, this is one of the reasons why I do this podcast and to share how well craft beer gets along. And it's just a real, it's like a family yeah. and the people you meet with it. Yeah, it's really cool. It's definitely not the same type of, vibe from the industry I came came from before so it was very very cutthroat and backstabby and what were so, you doing journalism no well that's another <laughs> good one to do that I know um, I was actually a horseshoer blacksmith for 25 years in the Interesting. horse industry yeah so I was banging shoes on and my wife was a professional horse trainer um, dressage hunter jumper uh, three day eventing and that's how we met and I drug her into the beer business when we both decided to get out of the horse business and uh, but yeah it's you be smiling to your face one second it'll turn around and, talk bad about you to your client trying to steal your people is just insane there's not That's much so not much conglomerate yeah it's crazy you know as someone who's even an even bigger outsider of horseshoe manufacturing yeah tell me a little bit about that because i mean horseshoes all look the same but i'm assuming that they're different in terms of thickness or, yeah they're very different uh, material or... they they can be made anywhere from titanium to aluminum to mild steel some okay. are, are shaped in a forge you know a couple thousand degrees some are cold shaped um I worked on race horses and hunter jumpers, dressage, a pretty wide variety of show horses okay. uh, throughout my career. But yeah, it's it's interesting crawling underneath a two thousand pound animal and drive nails in their feet. It's oh. got to have some guts <laughs> or or weak <laughs> weak mind and strong back, is For what sure. we used to say. <laughs> so, is any of that sort of carried over, or philosophies, or anything with with creating brewery or not creating? Yeah, brewery, for sure. I mean, it's just beer. working hard. It's I if you want something, you got to work for it, and it's you know show up on time, get it done, and move on to the next one it's 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 a tough line of work for sure and this this is too but in a different way you know. so well i see on our list that we have a couple of questions about the brewery but i have one more question if we can sort of we rewind back uh, we are sort of talking about um overall the craft beer world and acceptance um i mean now obviously especially in ohio but also especially in the dayton cincinnati-ish area there you know so like it seems like wherever you go there's there's a brewery on a corner uh how or talk to me a little bit about if you can what that transition or education was like to get people to maybe trust craft beer as opposed to going for the Budweiser's or Miller Lights or whatever that's a good question I I don't know if I have a great answer for it other than the fact that it's a lot more accessible now um, okay it, it's everywhere you can get growlers filled at gas stations it, you know Kroger's has a whole row of craft beer, every grocery store, every carry out. Um, and it's, it's definitely taken over some shelf space of the big boys. So I, I think it's just more accessible packaging, you know, is attractive guys like me and ladies in the brewing industry. They're, they're willing to sit and talk and, 
you know, engage with customers and be there. Uh, so that's something you don't get by grabbing a 12 pack of Miller Lite off the shelf. It's there's some more personal aspect to it. That's why I like the popping up these brew pubs. I think it's great having as many as we can. It's, you're supporting that local community, and they want to come in and support you and meet the owners and meet the staff and their kids. And you know, we all do stuff together. It's I think that's brought a lot more acceptance, I guess, willingness to try new stuff. What is the impact that it's that the craft brewery has had on the domestic beers? Because I know that like now you see, I know they just recently called it quits, but like Platform was purchased by Budweiser or Ambev. And, um, you know, I'm sure that Miller Lite also has a couple other ones. Have you seen a major impact or have they had to like work harder for marketing because they have more competition in that space? I don't know. It seems like the ones that get bought out, there's there's still something about it that people don't want to support it because they're owned by <laughs> these bigger conglomerates. Sure. Whether the beer is good or not, there's I think there's a stigma to that. I don't necessarily know if that's 100% true. But to me, if you got to have an environment, you got to have um, the experience, and then you got to have a great product. And I think if you have those three things, no matter who owns you, you should be able to pull a crowd and, and, and sell some great beer. But if you don't have those things, or at least two of the three, then things are eventually going to go downhill because there's so many options now. You can leave that place and go to two more block away, if you, depending on the area, maybe three or four more. So you definitely have to make sure you're on top of it, and providing a, you know, the right experience for the customer. And if that's what you're doing, as far as the models we do, um, we're not really a wholesale distributor model, which was never our plan. So we, we try to focus more on the local the local customer and, and um, local community. Sure. So you guys opened in 2015. When did the idea of Kirka Handle start and when, like, how did, how did you guys pick Springboro first? We started, we were just trying to find any place at that point. We started probably in 2012 looking or had decided that that's going to be the spot. So a friend of ours um, who's no longer with Crooked Handle, uh, Curtis Stadsvold, who's an EOD uh, tech in the Air Force, um, we kind of got together during this homebrew phase and we went out to GABF, um, uh, my wife and uh, him and myself, and we just fell in love with it again. It's like we've been out here how many times? We've been to the New Belgium tour. It's such a great tour and they, the story behind that, how it got started and how they take care of their employees. And, and it's just such an industry that attracted us because again, everybody's so willing to help everybody. It's just something we were not used to. And we were like in a hotel room. It's like, all right, let's do, let's do it. Let's, let's, we're going to open a brewery. So I jump on legal zoom and start an LLC. The first question is what's the name of the business? I have no idea what, you know, what are we going to call? So a little backstory of Curtis, he, he was in Afghanistan and we had been home brewing and, and our homebrew systems kept growing competitively with each other. You know, you know, you buy a tank, I buy a tank and we ended up with two, pretty much commercial grade half barrel <laughs> pilot systems before the end of it. But he had went to war and came back and, and we had needed a mass battle or he thought we did. So he had got out his jigsaw and probably a few scotch heavies and started cutting this mash paddle out and realized when he was done, he held it up and the thing was crooked as a dog's leg. So we always tease him about his crooked ass handle mash paddle. And throughout the, the year or so of brewing with this thing, we just kept cranking out these beers, probably more than we should have as far as the, <laughs> the ATS concerned. But uh, just cranking them out, giving away beer to family and friends, anybody would drink it and give us honest feedback. And then back to this hotel room, he's like, well, what about crooked handle brewing company? We've been making all that beer with that terrible match battle I made and um, it just kind of stuck. We're like, yeah, let's move to the next part. And then we just went on from there. And um, and the idea was born. We started working on a business plan. It started floating it around. We had a couple free beer tastings. We pulled in probably 100, 150 people. Some of these beer tastings, just at that point, there was probably eight breweries in Dayton back at the time, if even that many. So it hadn't quite hit yet, but it was on the verge. Getting some good feedback, shopped around, finally found a couple of local investors that were willing to throw some money towards it. And then we just stumbled across um, Dorothy Lane Market, and one of the people said, I think I might have a space that'll work. We went and checked it out, and said, yeah, this would be great. Started construction there in summer of 2014, or around March of 2014, and then was able to open Christmas Day of 2015. That's Christmas present? Yeah, yeah, we had a soft opening two days before. We had one bartender um, <laughs> the day before, but she was on vacation on the mm. day we were opening on the 25th. So sure. it was Christy and I behind the bar. I'd never, neither one of us had ever served beer before, and there's a line out the door waiting oh, on us awesome. to open. It's like, wow. well, here we go. We're in the beer business. So open, I think, story, I think yeah. we opened with three beers, maybe. Um, they've gotten a lot better <laughs> since then, thankfully. But yeah, it's just been a whirlwind since then. And then we 
just grown and expanded you know, across so the board. So you open on Christmas Day, was it like after, like in the evening? Yeah, I think it was four or five maybe. And then, um, yeah, it was wild. So it's when everyone was fed up with their exactly. family. Yeah. Yeah. Like, time for beer. Exactly. Right, right. And it's too cold to play football. So everybody was drink beer. watching the new place being built and, and it just went from there. Gotcha. For sure. And what was your sign that it was that you were ready to expand? We've always expanded pretty organically, other than from need, other than want. So we would just well, if one of the first people walked in the door, wanted to know if we had wine. So <laughs> it's like, I saw you know I swore no guest taps, no food, no not doing wine, you know all this stuff from being in Colorado because nobody out there does that. It's you go there for their beer, you fill your growler, everybody you know kumbaya. But it's uh, in Springboro, it was not that. It's you know. Well, my wife's not going to let me come in here if you don't have Chardonnay, you know. So we almost immediately filed for A1A, started bringing wine in, then had some bourbon tastings with Joe had from Century, and then we started bringing bourbon in. So it's just stuff that grew that we never said we would do, but you got to adapt. So we adapted to what our customers were looking for, and then just continued to add those things to different features and live music, and we tried trivia nights and some other things, but just something to keep keep it fresh and keep it new. New beers uh, started adding seasonals. And then we opened a kitchen during COVID. <laughs> so, so I feel like fun. kitchens are becoming more and more frequent. In Columbus, I feel like they, at least when I was living closer to Columbus, it was mostly like if there's a food truck, and there was almost always a food truck. Yeah. But, but in Cincinnati, where I live, and in the Dayton area, everywhere seems to have great food. Yeah, if, if you're a brewery without food, you're the minority now, at yeah. least in our area, which, you know, is great. It, is that just out of demand? Yeah, because you lose people. So you get them in early and then you lose the whole crowd three hours for dinner time because they're going to go somewhere else. Sure. And I dealt with food trucks. And if you have a food truck, I'm sorry, but they were a nightmare to deal with. <laughs> so oh, yeah. They were just, yeah, I don't know how many flat tires you can get on a four-wheel four, four truck. Gotcha. But it's, it's, it, and they'd leave. You know, if it wasn't busy enough, they'd roll out or they'd be late or... Right. And then the it, crowd would come and in. And they'd run out. Yeah. And who they complain to? They complain to you because right. it's you hosted the food truck. They don't right. get on, you know, Joe's food truck and give them a one-star review. They get on the brewery that was hosting right. the food truck yeah. and blast them. That's so, and we're not getting, you know, you get some generated beer sales, hopefully from it, but you're also letting somebody else walk away with that revenue and the control of the, the food and um, the service and the whole deal. So we wanted to take that on ourselves with some help from some industry experts on that as well, for sure. Yeah. Um, we were able to get a kitchen up and running. We went to school in, in Bowling Green, and my favorite bar served popcorn. Yeah. And the understanding then, or at least what I thought the understanding was, that it was salty so that you would drink more. Is that a, is that a real thing, you think? I've heard that forever, maybe. There's a local bar here that serves big plates of peanuts. So I, right, on you know, the shelf, same, so, same thing. And we ate, I don't know how many plates of peanuts and stayed there for way too long. So yeah. it's, uh, I mean, probably is a thing. We definitely saw our french fries, so. I can see that. Let's go on to the next beer here. So this is our Pickwood Pale Ale. Um, oh, you guys just made this. Yeah, yeah, this this came about, a gentleman approached us from Brookside Hops. That's the name I didn't want to forget there. Um, so these are grown in Pickwood. It's a Cascade Hop. It's a single hop, uh, single malt beer. And uh, I, I'm loving it. I'm, I was drinking it last night at the Taste of Arts here in Pickwood. And, I yeah, think it turned out fantastic. I thought when you said pickled, I was sort of oh, expecting pickle, yeah, to yeah. not like it. Yeah. Oh, pickwa. Pickwa, yeah. Pickle I'm just pale. an idiot. Yeah. Sorry. I misheard you. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you said pickled. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is going to be we something tried you have that. to fake, fake it to get through it. My wife would probably love that. She loves pickles. But yeah, uh, locally grown hops. Um, and I, I think it's it's been received really well. Nice beer. Where do you get most of your hops from? Um, most of the stuff we source, that's the only one locally we, we use right now. Most of it's from Yakima Chief, the Pacific Northwest grown yeah. stuff. We use a lot of Citro, Mosaic, Cascade Centennials, stuff like that. Uh, most of it comes from Yakima. Uh, we yeah. switched to Cryo uh, for the IPAs not too long ago just to help with the yield and uh, get rid of some of the vegetable flavors that were coming into our New England. So most of it's a supplier. I'd love to use some more local stuff. The, most of the local stuff that I found is like it's it's like Chinook, Cascade, Centennial, which is great. They're all you know great baseline hops. A lot of the stuff we're trying to do is some of the more citrus and fruity, gotcha. um, passion fruit style yeah. stuff, and it it's like it's hard to get in this area. That's where it's grown. Yeah, that's, yeah. Where it's that's the best place for those kind yeah. of characteristics that I found so far. Because when we talk to the place in Cincinnati, they try to go local, but they say sometimes with the local is not always. The best. Yeah. The climate here. Yeah. Here. It's pretty limited. I've had some nice stuff out of Michigan, but I don't know what this guy's doing with his, but his Cascades 
pretty fantastic, and it, it's, yeah. it's yeah, a I'm nice a, job. I'm a big beer. fan. Big fan. What's your favorite style of beer you like making, or is there any others you want to try down the road? I love sour beer, so that's something we haven't ventured into here. Uh, we've done some kettle souring and stuff. I know it's kind of a niche um, style. Uh, we did a great collaboration with Pretentious uh, a few years ago and did some uh, barrel-aged with a couple of different bread mixes and it, that turned out great, but he's got the facility and set up for the barrels and I just haven't been able to pull the trigger here. Maybe, maybe we'll do something like that in spring brew since we're doing all the brewing up here. Maybe we'll throw a fluter in down there and, and start to play with that. How many tanks do you have? We have four seven barrel fermenters now and a three barrel, or I'm sorry, and a seven barrel bright, but we have room to add four more 15s, which we are going to need soon. He's almost up to capacity here. So um, you are already outgrown here already? Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, because yes. we're, we're feeding both locations plus canning. Um, and we're definitely canning a lot more now than we used to. Um, so yeah. we're, we're burning yeah. through it. Because we were talking about it, and I was like, I didn't know you guys were really canned because we haven't really seen you out yet. Yeah, it's, it's not much out in the market other than here. Um, We'll hit up like Dorothy Lane and um, Springboro Wine. A few places to call us, we'll deliver to. We don't actively push out. I know it's terrible to say, but we just don't have the capacity of the cans. We've got cans going to Renaissance Festival this year. We're going to have one of the one of the gazebos there for just crooked handles, so they're going to push a lot of cans. And then we did a collaboration with Miami Valley Golf Association to put out a From the Short Grass Golden Ale, and that's a branded can that's getting marketed to all the local Miami Valley golf courses. So that's, that's going to take a, quite How a bit. How did you get into the Renaissance Festival? Because I feel like that would be a huge, that's one of the biggest. That's a big one. Ohio. Yeah, so our kitchen consultant, Chris Cavender, is also the food um, manager for the entire festival. So uh, he helped get us in the door there. They've been buying our peanut butter porter for probably four years now at the roadside or roadhouse grill there. And then they approached us this year for the gazebo. They're adding a new area to the park. They're expanding the park and we're going to be in that new section. I think it's going to be us and Sonder and Warpoint. There's a few, they've got a decent amount of locals heading out there, maybe front board. I could be wrong, but there's, it's going to be nice. And they're going to do all cans at those. And then they'll still have our draft at the, the three fools. So that, yeah, that's a nice spot. Well, that's clearly a success. Yeah. It definitely makes me want to go to Renaissance Festival even more now. Yeah, they have a lot of the crap beer there, actually, surprisingly. it's uh, The food's great. It's always a good time. If you have enough, you'll buy a sword, Blake. Yes. <laughs> then we'll really you, be you know, that shows the growth of crap beer in itself. Is yeah. Some of these places you guys are getting into, if it's Great American Ballpark, TQL, and, or Renaissance, you guys are yeah. starting to all start chipping in. You haven't made it to Paycor much yet. but Right. And they're obviously seeing a need for it, and they're getting asked for it, or they because they're reaching out to at least in our case, they're reaching out to us looking for for craft beer. So we're not you know actively out there trying to force it on them. So they must be there must be a need for it, or people are asking for it, or they wouldn't be asking us for it. (laughs) So with all the upside, what's the biggest challenges at for you guys right now? Right now, things have leveled off pretty good as far as supply. Um, That was pretty rough for a minute with COVID, especially with the kitchen. There's a lot of stuff you couldn't get week to week. You didn't know if you're going to be able to get boxes or ingredients or so a lot of the supply chain stuff I, I think is leveled out at least for our size system biggest challenge is I, just like any business you know marketing keeping things fresh keeping you know new customers coming in old faces staying I mean that's pretty much what we're always striving to improve on we just started adding box lunches here part that it's going to soon to surround us was finally just approved by commission so they're going to start construction on that soon um, which is really the reason that brought us to Piqua so we're excited to have that as another tool to bring more people in have you noticed any changes in consumer wants? Like maybe and we spoke with, with Third Eye the other day and they told us that a lot of Cincinnatians and Ohioans really like sweet beer. Have you have you noticed any sort of thing? Like maybe Kolsch is at an all-time high or maybe yeah. people are wanting stouts more than just in winter months? We, it's funny, we were tasting a pickle last night out in the on the, pavement it was hot as hell and there were people asking for dark beers so, oh, okay. so yeah maybe it is coming around we do sell uh, a lot of the porter and um we have a marshmallow stout on right now that's that's moving pretty good so it's a pretty wide variety we have so many different people that come in here our top seller is probably typically the Kolsch um or the trinity haze would be probably the next step or new england um, and that's probably the same at the other location too it would probably be burrow blonde down there because that's a staple and then the trinity would be a, a close second one thing I've always wondered when you when you hear marshmallow in the beer, so what process do you put the marshmallow in? Do you like just 
dump marshmallows in or what but we, you? We tried that, but there's not much to a marshmallow other than sugar and a little bit of vanilla. <laughs> so we, we actually use an Amaretti product for ours. It's a toasted marshmallow, um, and it's a, it's a stable um, TTB-approved product, and it, it actually adds more marshmallow flavor. They just have it so condensed down versus just adding straight-up marshmallows because you really don't get much to it with uh, dumping them. 100 pounds of marshmallows in a tank other than a mess in the bottom of the tank when you try and clean it out <laughs> yeah. yeah but that's who's on the who's on the bottom of the totem pole who has to clean it out right yeah look like in still can <laughs> talk to us about some of the cool collaborations i know when warped way moved in down next to you guys you did a collaboration with that what some collaborations you've enjoyed doing we've done a ton of collaborations um We've done several with Hairless Hair. We just, uh, the From the Heart beer that's coming out again for the OCBA uh, fundraiser. Uh, we just brewed that down at the Hair. We brewed it a couple times at my place in the past. I think this is year three or four for that series of beer, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we've had several collaborations with Warped Wing over the years. Um, once when they moved into town, we've done some stuff for uh, Christmas and Spring Girl with them. We did a Cranberry Colch one year together. I remember that. Yeah, that turned out. Now, and I think they, um, they, they do a Cranberry I think they even do a cranberry colch now um, as a seasonal, so that's a really nice beer. Done big collaborations with Mother Stewart's for a bourbon bash event. There were several of us, Mother Stewart's, uh, Hairless Hair, Warp Wing, I think was in on that. We've done stuff with, again, Pretentious. That was probably my favorite just because I love sour beer. Uh, that, that process was really cool. Uh, it took a year to get it done, you know, from start to finish, but his brew days are a lot faster than ours. He, he goes down the road, buys the work, brings it back, does what he's thinking. So it's, it's a pretty neat process he's got with the barreling and, and trying the barrels and blending everything back together. That was that was something we don't normally do here is blending, and that was a lot of fun. So I talked more about that, that heart one you were in, because I've seen it, but I never understood what the heart collaboration means. What is that for? So it's a fundraiser. Um, so the Crosby, I think Prestige, there's a few groups that get together and donate um, all the ingredients and the hops. And um, who's the other one? Is it? I shouldn't be leaving the, the malt company out, but regardless, you'll see it when we promote it. Um, so they donate all the, all the ingredients to OCBA. A couple uh, breweries will come up with a recipe or a loose recipe. And then we buy that kit basically from the OCBA. And that's, that's the money they're raising to, to put towards lobbyists and, and funding uh, legislative adventures to, to help you know, the Ohio breweries get some leverage against the, the bigger guys, which there's a big one right now coming up with a franchise law. So we're really actively pushing on that to try and get some more favorable changes to franchise law for Ohio and small breweries. And when I, when I eat, right, or I eat something that I'm interested in making myself, I'll, I'll try and taste for like, you know, ingredients. Like, does this have cinnamon in it or how much cinnamon or regular sugar or brown sugar or, or Worcestershire sauce or whatever. I may have mis just mispronounced that word, but that's okay. <laughs> um, when you drink beer, do you, I drink it for taste and to see if I like it. What do you, do you, do you just like, is it part of your work where you're like, I'm going to go and drink this mango flavored beverage and make sure that I understand how they did it and try and be inspired by it or replicate it or, improve on it for yourself or what's that process like i don't get too much into that and then jumping on untap and trying to you know rate beers or, or pick out flavors i do i mean i can tell if something's well made or what's in it but i don't i don't sit down specifically to try and pick out flavors unless i'm you know with ken or a brewer and, and we are trying to do something like that but right I'm, I'm out i'm trying to just enjoy enjoy okay. craft beer like you are uh, ken's a little a little more into that uh, i feel like you and Gordon Ramsay are completely different people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I try not to judge. I just try to drink for what it is. I like it all or another one. If I don't, I won't. I, but, uh, I try not to pick through it. I just like to, you know, enjoy it, hang out with friends. Usually we're listening to live music somewhere. We're big supporters of local bands and, um, we're just hanging back enjoying ourselves. But when, when it's work time, then yeah, we can sit down and, and, and get through it for sure. What, what do you, uh, when, when you are sitting with, with your, your employees and you're drinking though, what is that process like? Um, just sort of talk me through how, like, do you like try and figure out what recipe they're using or do you, I mean, you typically, I'm assuming that like, you know, if you're trying to make a Kolsch with, I, I'm not a brewer, so I may be speaking horribly of, of beer in general, but like, if you like want to make like a, a fruity flavored or whatever Kolsch, do you, do you already have an idea going in or like, how do you get inspired to, to do that, to do it? 
Um, yeah, usually it's something we've tried somewhere. It's like, oh, this is good. We should try and come up with that combination. Not necessarily replicate it exactly, but just to put those profiles together. Sure. And there actually is a, a a cooking book that we've used that you can like you can pick a, a flavor or an aroma or a range, and it'll tell you the next twenty things that pair well, you know, with that type of ingredient. So that's that's an interesting way to find some stuff that you might not be thinking about that would go together. Um, so it is a lot like cooking for sure from your Gordon Ramsay comment but it it is yeah sit down and we do we do training with staff uh ken will lead uh training we'll try a few beers just like that and go through and we've done some spikes before we do all flavor testing and mainly that's so they know when they're trying our beer or if they're out trying beer they if something is a little weird you know they know where it came from or you know what may be causing it and um just to have the knowledge to be able to speak to it uh, intelligently if somebody asks a question you know what what about this or what's this flavor you know I like this type of thing. What beer would you recommend? I, I think that's really important for your staff to, to be able to talk about your beer and, and beer in general. So we do a monthly um, training with them and then we're getting ready to re-implement a program called a Draft Lab. It's basically an app. And you take a sampling from a large group of people or you know, staff, we've done it with customers or whoever, and they input what they taste in this beer from you know, the head, the lacing, the appearance, the color, the aroma, and all this stuff, you enter it in, you get a baseline for that beer. So it's like, all right, we know when we brew the Kolsch, here's what it's supposed to be like. And then when you brew the next batch, they try it, they look at the baseline, then they go through and re-enter again, and then it'll take a sampling pool and put it together and say, all right, you're in range of your base beer. And if it gets out of line, and you can see it on the app because it tracks it, and we say, all right, now we go back and look at it. What do we do different? Was something up with the water chemistry? Did, uh, did the water chemistry change? We get our water tested here every quarter, and it's changed already, so he's having to adjust with salts and to try and pull it back together uh, to meet our base. But you can dive as far into that as, as you want to go, for sure, as far as chemistry and water. And we try to educate our staff and, and team on what's behind making this stuff and what all this equipment is. And if somebody has a question, we can at least talk about it and nice. sound like we know what we're doing. <laughs> I like it. I'm into it. Okay, let's try the next one. So the next one's our Trinity Haze. We've... Uh, been brewing this for quite a few years now. This is what I always order here. Yeah, so yeah. a citrus mosaic, a lot of, a lot of citrus notes. I'm a big fan of these styles. Yeah. Um, I like this beer a lot better here. I like it in Springboro. I like it even better here because Springboro water is granite compared to pickle water, no. so it's softer. Yeah. It, it it lets the hops come through a little a little more toned down versus the the bite that we were getting in Springboro. So I, it's coming across really nice. So I, I like the hazies. Versus the West Coast again, I same first one like that thing just hits you in the face at 100 IBUs and it's like why does anybody want to drink this? I just never <laughs> I never got into that. But when these came around, I, I really enjoyed them and I love trying every one I can when I get out whenever I do get away from the brewery my brewery. <laughs> so what goes in a, into a hazy compared to like a normal IPA or a West? So for ours, well, the hop choice for for one uh, West Coast uses uh, a lot of the pine resin. Um, style of hops and this is more of a tropical um, passion fruit pineapple type uh, hop variety again citra mosaic is a big one there's some other fun stuff coming out now um, and then to try and get the haziness in the mouthfeel we use uh, flaked oats flaked wheat um, we use a malted oat in this one to try and keep that protein in suspension and it just adds a little softer mouthfeel to it and it's still the same base pretty much all two row. So what, when did you guys decide, like, let's go to Piqua, made that decision happen? So Piqua actually came to us probably in 2018 or 19, maybe early 19. So there has been plans for this Lock 9 Park, which has been going on for a very long time, if you ask any of the residents. It's a pretty hot topic around here. Um, and they wanted a brewery to anchor the park. Uh, this building was originally, well, not originally, but when we moved in, it was the Piqua Granite and Marble Company. It was a headstone company. Right. And she, at that point, had decided she was kind of ready to get out of it. Um, and so the city was, was actively looking with her realtor to try and find somebody that would want to put a brewery in here. And they came to us with this beautiful rendering and the, the architects and the, the developer and, you know, this is what we want to do. And and just kept rolling from there. And you know, we kept looking at it. We weren't actually looking to come to Piqua, but the more we were up here checking it out and meeting the people and the community and the city officials, and it just seemed like a right fit for, for what we wanted to do. And the park was a huge part of that. I mean, it's it, when it's done, it looks a little rough right now, but when it's done, there's gonna be an amphitheater out here, a splash oh, no pad, okay. uh, landing for kayaks, canoes. Um, and you have the bike trail right there. Yeah, the bike trail meets right here. Uh, 
beautiful view of the Great Miami up and down. So it was just a great spot, and the traffic out here never stops. I mean, this no. is a busy road. Pretty much any time of day, it's there's somebody driving past our place. So I rolled in uh, right up until COVID. <laughs> we were just about to sign the deal, deal with the developer and get this thing rolling, and then uh, they shut us down. We were standing there in Springboro watching Mike DeWine say, "You're you're done." And uh, we put the brakes on. Uh, the city put the brakes on. And then once all that, we got on the other side of that and started seeing, all right, we're going to make it through this. Um, our kitchen, we got our kitchen build out done in Springboro during that time. So we launched the kitchen, I think two weeks after coming back from COVID, from the shutdowns. And that was going, we were doing okay with staffing, moving along, and then we decided to re-energize this project. And of course the city was excited, we got it rolling again, and then started construction here, I believe February of 22. And uh, Dillinger Construction was the, the lead on it. And they had us, they had us in here by, it would have been November, there was a couple early, permit things it slowed us down a bit but they knocked it out and did yeah, a fantastic that's job quick. yeah for 11,000 square foot building it was a yeah. complete renovation every piece of electric plumbing lighting wall I mean it was tore down to the, the shell basically wow. and rebuilt and they killed it talk to us a little bit about what it was like for you as a business owner trying to figure out how to continue to pay your bills during this that that horrific time for all America it was terrible. All the world. For sure. I mean, luckily, our landlord and, um, and the bank, they, they all, um, you know, allowed us to, to suspend payments and push them to the end of the lease or the end of the, the loan we had going from Springboro. And uh, so that was a huge help. It sounds counterproductive, but Christian and I bought, went and bought new cars because they had like a three-month payment deferral. So, we, you know, that saved our car payments for three months while we were waiting on things to get going. Hopefully, things would be up by then. Um, we were able to keep paying everybody on staff what they would normally make uh, through the PPP program. So we were able to get that and put it to the use that it was meant to be used for. So we kept everybody we had, you know, paid all through, all through the, the shutdown. And um, yeah, that was terrible. I can't believe it's been so many years ago now. Yeah. It seems like it was just yesterday. But it does, but it cool. also seems like it was so long ago. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day because the F FDA, no, F some government organization I saw a Washington Post Instagram thing saying that that they had declared that it was over, yeah. and then like two days later, the White House was like, "There's a new case." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. who knows? But um, talk to us a little bit. Have you noticed any changes in in your operation or in the customers' uh, purchasing habits since? Yeah, well, it was it was tough because it changed our service model in Springboro. We were always a walk up service model and that was going to be the same thing with the food just like we've we've done here that's what springboro was going to be but during covid there was dividers and six feet table and you couldn't stand up with your drink or walk around with it because covid would get you if you stood up <laughs> you know it's, it was crazy all these rules but we followed them not everybody did but we did that to the letter you know we, we didn't want to get shut down we didn't want any fines or any nobody knew what would happen if you got caught at the time but so up in the air and, <laughs> Yeah, it was like we'll die. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> it, was, we, it was a terrifying time. It was wild. So we, you know, we followed the rules, and um, but it forced us into a table service model, which you know we did not want to do um, for many reasons. Uh, so it's been hard to get back from that. It kind of put us there. So that's what we are now in the spring grow at least. We're slowly trying to work back backwards. So that put us in a tough spot there. Um, customers were great after COVID because they wanted to get out of the house. Uh, they weren't spending any money anywhere, so they, you know, they're tipping fantastic and and buy and carry out i wish our kitchen would have been open at the time um, and i wish we had a candy line at the time because we were selling nothing during the shutdown um, we had nothing to sell really as far as packaged stuff and uh so it, yeah it was weird i, I think it's kind of getting back to normal it seems like it at least from uh, spending and, and average check size and, and tipping still great and they're taking care of customers and i think people were maybe a little more forgiving during during all that, as far as service and and um, things like that, but it's yeah, it's so weird to even think about it now. Yeah, it's crazy. Then also in 2019, the tornadoes came through Dayton, and you yep. got you all your breweries got together in Dayton, did that thing in Caroline. How did that come along? And do you ever see you guys ever trying to do something like that? Again? Yeah, that was that was fantastic. So that was uh, I helped coordinate that uh, with. Um, it was Mike from Hairless Hair, and there was a few. There's a few of us on the committee there. They helped pull that together, and then um, some of the management from Carillon was the real backbone to that. 
Carolina hasn't done a beer fest there in, in quite a while, long time, and for them to let us come in there and do that, it was great. Uh, all the breweries came together. We had the collaboration beer, uh, the Dayton Strong beer. I think we raised fifty some thousand oh, wow. dollars off that. Yeah, it was crazy. That that event was insane. We were walking down the line with cameras, just like. It took, you know, it took seven, eight minutes to walk the line from the door to the back to the parking lot of just a row of people wanting to get in there. That was a that was a great event, beautiful venue, perfect weather. We worked with the bands; they donated their time. Um, David Garwood from Velvet Crush was a big part of that. He brought in sound guys and and stages and, and arranged for all that stuff to be donated. A lot of the signage was donated. The breweries donated the beer for the event. So we all we all came together and pulled that one off, and it was that was fantastic. If uh, hopefully there would never be a need for that again, but if you know, something happens and, and we can help. And I was not hoping for an air event, but an event like that was yeah, just, sure. just fun. Uh, Thanks for clarifying, Blake. Yeah. I was <laughs> not hoping another disaster. No, of course, yeah. <laughs> just something that loves craft and yeah. that. It was a lot of fun, and there has been, and it was a great venue, and there's been a lot of talk since then about doing something else at Carolina Park, which I'm sure it's where you're heading, and it's it was such a fun event. I don't know if that'll ever happen again. Carolina's not really, it'll seem like they're into that type thing because they have to suspend their license during that you know, oh. it's a whole liquor control thing and um they've got their own thing going on but they they did do it for that and, and we were thankful we were able to raise a ton of money and that was a lot of fun i was in spain a few weeks ago and they don't really have the same liquor laws that we do really? i was drinking beer in the park and you know a cop waved at me or a policia waved at me and do you see i mean obviously it's going to take getting along in in congress but do you see that like alcohol acceptance will get better in america or do you always sort of see it as like you know you got to do it inside you can only do it when you're when you're old enough you can you know otherwise you'll get in a lot of trouble it is weird you you can go to war at 18 but you can't drink a beer <laughs> yet so that For that sure. aspect of it is For straight sure. i think the doors are helping with some of the acceptance of being able to, to grab a beer and, and leave and walk down the street and go in the shop um this park's going to be a door i think we'll put a door in that was kind of one of the requirements of us coming up here and they got that done way ahead of us even opening so the entire lock nine park will be a door which will essentially be our patio you can go all the way down main street um and hit know, there's probably five or six different um, bars restaurants from here down through there a lot of really cool shops you can go in so i think those are helping um troy has a very successful one dayton has a successful one miamisburg finally just changed theirs they were like turning theirs on and off and a bunch of weird stuff going on down there but they got rid of some of the old school uh commissioners and got some new blood in there a little more progressive thinking and now it's it's open you know this is what it is you know and there hasn't been any issues as far as i've heard on any of these doors with trouble yeah. anybody acting up or it's been pretty pretty well received yeah eric and i've seen that in our hometown of troy yeah, when well, dora first came on they yeah. passed it and there was these people that wrote petition on it so we yeah. had to go vote on it yeah just to get the door to go through. that's what happened in Miamisburg. it was crazy yeah mm -hmm. but then also in 2018 you guys launched you hit on a little bit it was a dame beer passport i didn't know eric and i enjoy doing that each and every year how did that come up and where do you see the future in dayton passport uh, it's going to keep growing. So again, that's something else I took on with, with uh, Mike Muncy from Hairless Air is the, is the Dayton Brewers. Uh, we had the app from OCBA, uh, which is great, uh, the Ohio and Tap app. And then we had wanted, we'd enjoyed the paper books. We've done the Columbus Trail and the Bourbon Trail. And there's just something about holding the paper in your hand and being able to see the ads and the, and, and the experience of all that and going around and getting the stamps. And, and we wanted to do it in Dayton. And at the time... Nobody else has really wanted to, to get the ball rolling. So Muncie and I, all right, so well, let's do it. So we'll do all the groundwork, get it going, present it to the brewers. And, you know, we got all the hard part done. And then um, then they were all on board. And after the first year, they love it. Cause, you know, we're cashing in, you know, 1,500 prizes or more a year. So that's at least 1,500 people just came through your door, you know, that may not have. Um, it's pushing people out of their comfort area, you know, trying new cities, new breweries. I think there's 23 of them in the trail right now or somewhere around there. And I think we started with, I don't know, 17 or 18. So it's growing every year. This guy's already completed it. Nice. Yes. <laughs> I'm actually doing the Ohio one. I'm creeping on 200 now, nice. which is, that's kind of harder. Yeah. Yeah. When I told you that we were doing this podcast because of his passion for craft yeah. beer, I was not <laughs> lying to you. I love it. I love it. 
That's what it takes. So this last this last beer is always the one. Like when I first heard of you guys, this is the one people talked about. It is. Yeah, yeah that's why I didn't want to not include it in this. It's uh, it's not a beer that I drink all the time. I probably had less than ten of them oh. <laughs> since we've been open. It's it's just. It's a good beer. It's just not something I gravitate to. to well, what is it? Our peanut butter porter, roadside peanut butter porter, ah. um, which came along. The name came along. It was Proby's peanut butter porter, but Firehouse, I believe, already had a Proby porter. So we, we thought, well, we probably shouldn't use that one. Um, but my wife and I found a little wire dachshund on the side of the road. And um, he's brown, black, peanut butter. So it's like we decided to name the beer after him. Uh, oh, nice. Roadside peanut butter porter or Proby from back in the day. But... I'm always so nervous whenever I drink peanut butter infused beer, just because sometimes it like burns the back of my throat. Yeah. You know what I mean? But this one has a fantastic finish. Yeah, it's smooth. It's um, we tweaked it a little bit over the years, but it's it, it's nice. It's not heavy. It's porter. It's not a heavy stout, and it, it moves. It, we we always have it on. It's been a flagship probably since 2016, I would say, and it's we it's one of our home brews. Um, you guys actually won a gold medal on that too, didn't you? We did, yeah. This was I, was it the U.S. I can't remember the group now or Alltech. Maybe it was, maybe it was back when Alltech was doing events. Um, yeah, this has won a couple of local awards for sure. We haven't pushed it out to GABF yet, but maybe we'll we'll get back on track with that and try and send some beers out there. Now that we're packaging, it's a it's a lot easier to send canned beer out that's run through a candy machine versus hand filling bottles, and <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a little you're up your odds a little bit. So we might jump back on that that train. Because I tell you, Ohio is killing it when yeah. it, when it's coming to those metal. Yeah. Because I just saw a narrow article on all like third eye run guys, yeah. such street side fat heads, and Ohio is just absolutely killing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, mean, I don't think they get Ohio gets the recognition like they should. I agree too. with that. Yeah. They, yeah. I agree with that for sure. But Ohio's making some great beer. Yeah, I feel like everywhere we go, there's a beer that is is fantastic, and seemingly somehow everyone has won some sort of award for yeah. their beer. And it's yeah. like, how many different medals are there? Right. But at the same time, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you talked about a little bit about how you're running out of room here. What are your plans to expand going forward, or not expand necessarily? But what are your next plans for your? Uh, more fermenters will be the next step for sure. We, um... Here. Yeah, we're not currently brewing in Springboro, so we do have capacity there if we need it. But like I said, I'd, I'd like the water up here better without having to add some kind of additional filtration in Springboro. Uh, there's some talk of doing some um, some other collaborations in Springboro or potentially uh, some contract brewing to, to utilize that equipment. But I might bring some of those seven barrels from Springboro up here and then throw a fooder down there and start playing around with the sours and see what, what happens there. But our next expansion here at Pickle for sure will be um, more tanks without a doubt, more fermenters. Cool. Because I think it's so awesome that you guys have come into Miami County. I mean, with Moeller, with Hurst, yeah. and you guys, you got, you both are, I think, are helping Miami County. Yeah. Because I think Miami County had been missing a void for a long time. Even yeah. though we had hairless, but they was not Miami County. Yeah. Even though they're close enough. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's, it's been great. The reception has been amazing. We have people from all over come in. We have a pick of locals that have been here forever we're talking to on a friday night and they'll look around and they'll say i don't know anybody in here and you know, th these are people that know everybody in Piqua. <laughs> so it's we're definitely pulling in traffic from you know greenville and all of uh, troy tips and you know, a lot of other places are, are traveling because you know there's nothing else like it around and it's we offer something for everybody so yeah i agree miami county was another that was part of our reason too to come up here it's so where do you see in the miami county going from here with you guys and I'm not sure where, I don't know if anybody else has, has a plan to come up here at the moment that I've heard of, um, that I've heard of, have you? No, so, I, I'm yeah. just curious, because yeah. Miami County just seems to be growing fast. Yeah, they are, they've been very supportive. The, their their uh, convention uh, bureau, visitor bureau, they've been fantastic. Uh, they've done a couple articles on us and they've got a, their own uh, sweets and treat trail or something going on right now. So they're, they're doing some extra promotion for local businesses so it's i think it's good they're excited to have us here they've been great to work with um, i think it's going to keep growing I mean, get, get more people troy just get, i know it was in brewery but they just got crafted and cured yeah. too and yeah my cousin and i were at long shots last night and long shots has amazing craft beer list there too it's like it's, it's just showing how craft beer is getting more accepted everywhere you look yeah for sure i mean yeah, referees just opened down here they've got a pretty decent craft lineup um 
Scottish Thistle. Um, they have a lot of the innocent gun stuff that's that's fantastic in bottles. So that it is. There's craft everywhere, and it's, and it's great. It's, it certainly has not hit a hit its peak yet. I don't think. Do you find yourself spending more time at this location or Springboro we, these days? We mix pretty well. Um, we hired a fantastic management team up here, a friend of ours, but she's been in the industry for a very long time, and um, she's pretty much running the show. Uh, we also hired an events, uh, an event sales manager who's running the front room and a lot of our outside events, um, taking a lot of that off our plate. So Christy and I, we're able to flow back and forth. We don't really have shifts per se unless somebody you know we're filling in or putting out fires or fixing a toilet or whatever <laughs> whatever needs to be done as a, as a business owner uh but we're we're pretty staffed up right now and doing really well we promoted a manager uh, in springboro who had been with us for a long time as a as a server and a bartender uh, she's doing a fantastic job down there so it allows us uh, what's your name we'll give her a shout out janelle janelle yeah, congratulations down there. Janelle. and then megan williams up here uh, is doing a great job with the as a gm she has a great bourbon list too. Oh, right? she, yeah, that's yeah, that's she loves that. That's her bread and butter. Um, Do you ever see yourself making a bourbon? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I have not tried that yet. I've not dabbled in, in any distilling. Um, it's interesting for sure. Whole another process. Yeah. But it's uh, yeah. We we deal with a couple local. Do you do, do you guys do barrelage stuff too? Yeah, we actually okay. have our Russian Imperial sitting in Buffalo oh, nice. Trace barrels right now. We're going to do a couple of events with Buffalo Trace here coming up. Cool. Uh, okay. Yeah, we're actually, we're the, the largest Buffalo Trace purchaser in, at our liquor store <laughs> in, this, in this location. We go through a ton of their stuff. So, uh, the rep's been out. He's he's met with Megan a couple times, and we're going to do some fun events with him. Because I definitely feel like in Cincinnati or Dayton, you have to have a barrel age, yeah. too. Yeah. Okay. We don't do a ton. We'll do two or four barrels a year, and then just release them at the end, usually during an anniversary or something like that. Uh, but they go well, for sure. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna start adding back to it. It slowed down a little bit during construction here, and then during the kitchen up there, we're just running out of room. When you put a kitchen in, it's amazing how much more storage you need. So a lot of our barrel room got moved to 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 go boxes and <laughs> stuff like that. So we got this room here. We're gonna try and ramp that back up, increase that. Well, thank you for your time. We've truly enjoyed you being on, and thank you. Yeah, I personally feel like I know so much more about the craft beer industry as a whole, so I really, really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep coming back. As yeah. I, I mean, when you guys open up the pickle, it's so stoked. So. Thank you. Yeah, enjoy it a lot. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Blake the Brew Explorer podcast. This podcast was hosted by me, Blake Longfellow, Noah Jones, and Eric Berkshire. This episode was also produced by Noah Jones and edited by Noah Jones and Eric Berkshire. Want to join us on our brewery exploration? Be sure to subscribe to our show and follow me at the Blake the Brewery Explorer on Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook. If you would like to be interviewed, please reach out to Noah Jones at nojocreative at gmail.com or me at blakelongfellow at gmail.com.